It's happy hour again from Uptown New Orleans. Hello, I'm Grant Morris. Happy hour as part of the family of shows on the podcast network. It's NewOrleans.com, brought to us today in part by Petite Pet Care. If you're going out of town, you lucky devil, or you have a schedule that keeps you away from home, the folks at Petite Pet Care understand that some pets are fine going to a kennel or doggy daycare if they're a dog, but others prefer the comfort of their own home. Petite Pet Care are insured, bonded, Red Cross, pet CPRs, and first aid certified. But most importantly, they love animals. For loving care, when you're not there, Petite Pet Care has got you covered. You can find them, guess where? PetitePetCare.com. When you walk into a bar in New Orleans and pull up a bar stool, you never know who's going to be sitting on either side of you. What you do know is no matter what they look like, what they're wearing, whether they just got out of a limo or just got out of jail, they're going to be happy to talk to you because that's New Orleans and this is Happy Hour, a cocktail-fueled 60 minutes of random conversation with folks who have nothing in common. Other than we're all New Orleans in a bar. In this case, we're at the lovely Wayfair on Ferret Street, Uptown. Mm. For the very first time, we've never been here before and done a show. We've been here and had a lot of drinks, actually, though. Andrew, That's true, we? yeah, we've, yeah. We've done that. And if you don't know what Wayfair is, I can tell you. It's a restaurant and a bar that serves handcrafted food and spirits. Chef Kevin White puts fine dining into a sandwich. And if you're wondering if that's just some sort of bullshit slogan, let me just tell you this. Chef Kevin has over 35 homemade varieties of mayonnaise. How many mayonnaise? 35 homemade varieties of mayonnaise. And that's just the mayo. Plus, he has specials every day. The bartenders make a bunch of awesome Wayfair special cocktails, which we're drinking here. What are you all drinking? Beer, wine, gin and tonic, nothing very fancy. There's a lot of stuff on the menu here. And they have happy hour for three hours every day from four to seven. So you can't be that. That's yep. Wayfair on Ferret Street where we're gathered here where my special guests are sitting around the table. Let me introduce you to them in this particular order. Across the table from me is Doctor. Oh, you overqualified for this show already. I hadn't seen that. Doctor, I'm sorry. You're not a real doctor for God's sake, are you? Cause I, we'll, hey, move in so I can hear you. You mean medical versus medical uh, philosophical? Versus I'm philosophical. You're a philosophical doctor. Yeah. Oh, good. We're okay. really philosophical too after a couple of drinks. <laughs> so yep. then I can stay. Hey, move that mic around so we can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Okay, shall I start again? Yes, please. It's happy. Oh, I'll just start with Dr. Adele Hearn. Is, oh, now I'm in trouble already. A musologist. Is that what? how you say it? Yes, musologist. That's, say it. Yes. that's not a word. It's not a word. <laughs> okay. Dr. Adele Hearn is a musologist based in New Orleans who teaches in the graduate program in museum studies at Johns Hopkins University. It's Johns Hopkins, not Johns, right? Johns. Wow, that's interesting. So you live here and teach at a university in, where's that? Uh, Baltimore, Maryland, but ah. I, I teach on our program is online. Nice. Well, that's funny because I live here and I teach on the moon. <laughs> Isn't that, that crazy? We're here we're already. We're like yeah. twins. Uh-huh. That's how do you do that? So you teach online, so yeah. you could live anywhere. Yes. What a great gig. I guess mm. we're going to find out how you get a gig like that in a minute. Riddell started out working at the Smithsonian. Oh, you started at the top and worked your way down to the bottom and living in New Orleans. Well, just all over, yeah. Oh, that's the, great. The experience. Okay, come on, stop fucking around now. Riddell started out working <laughs> at the Smithsonian when she was still a graduate student in college, went on to become the curator of history for the Californian African American Museum and the founding director of the Master of Arts and Museum Studies program for Southern University at New Orleans, the very first graduate-level museum studies program in the state of Louisiana. Wow, you are really super overqualified for happy hour, but keep drinking. <laughs> Dr. Hearn also serves on the board of directors for the Association of African American Museums and is a peer reviewer for the American Alliance of Museums. Wow, so you're like the real deal. I'd like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can fool us right now. <laughs> what, uh, what is your PhD in? Uh, it's in humanities, but I wrote my dissertation on uh, museum studies curriculum, museology curriculum. Museology curriculum. Mm-hmm. I have that album, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. Paul Dale is here as well. Hello, Paul. Hi, how's it going? Oh, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm still breathing, you know? Still breathing? Yeah, this well, is number four for me. Are you on the fourth beer of the night? Yes. Mm. 
Oh so my God. Paul is, as you probably guessed already, a New Orleans screenwriter and film director specializing in independent features, short films, and documentaries. It all started when Paul was about three. He, <laughs> he peed in the tape deck of the family's video camera. Did you really? I did. That's that's a true story. Yeah. You peed in the tape deck of my the family. My dad just left it out on the thing, and I was well, his fault, a three-year-old. Yeah. Could have been worse, right? Right. I could have. Could have taken on. a crap in it. Yeah. <laughs> At that moment, some <laughs> Freudian psychosexual fascination with cinema was born. Did you get electrocuted or anything? No. No. no just, There's no, no power just, in just it. Just filled it up. Yeah. It was just <laughs> filled it up. <laughs> So it's a tape. What is it again? I'm going to read this again. It was it's a the video, the tape deck. So that's the bit that right, comes that out. Comes out back when and you put the little VCRs tape in there. Yeah, the right. Mm-hmm. There. Yeah, oh, it was VHS. So it wasn't a little tape. Oh, it was a big ass thing. Yeah. Did you oh. close it up when you were done? <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking? You know, I I don't really remember. I remember peeing in it. I don't remember why. You do I remember peeing in it. I don't yeah. remember anything from when I was three. Do you, uh, Phil? Uh, fortunately, no. <laughs> <laughs> Riddell, do you remember anything from when you were three? No, I don't remember anything from three weeks ago, apparently. No, I'm with you. Andrew? <laughs> no, but I can tell you about some psychosexual weird things. But let's well, just let's not get on to that in a minute. I can't remember okay. three minutes ago. <laughs> I know. So listen, besides having a psychosexual fascination <laughs> with cinema, over the years Paul has worked on everything from MTV shows to PBS documentaries. More MTV than PBS, I would think, from the peeing in the camera yeah, psychosexual I, I fascination a, i did a really weird pilot show for an mtv uh like reality show about people dancing in bikinis it was really that's a whole mm. other i'm thing. surprised that isn't huge actually mm. yeah. is it it is never it got picked up so it was how could like that a, not be know, picked right? up when you that's say people you mean yeah. women are yeah, yeah, dancing yeah right. in bikinis. <laughs> i'm glad that you said people though that's a lot sort of equal opportunity <laughs> swimwear uh in 2013 paul wrote directed and produced his first feature film chosen which toured from, I don't believe I'm going to read this sentence, which toured from New Orleans to Atlanta. I know. Dude, Huge congratulations. Tour. That's Thank amazing. You. That's, who pulled we that off? We got eight Warner, hours Warner Brothers? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> was it, wait, was it literally just a screening in New Orleans and a screening in Atlanta? There was, there was one in Lafayette. Okay. Somewhere, so we kind of went, or I guess Lafayette to yeah. Atlanta would be a full disclosure. explanation. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Toured from New Orleans. Who, did you write this? You said you yeah, wrote this. Yeah, it sounds a lot more, it Sometimes sounds better if you don't, you know. If you don't question uh, it. Yeah. If you don't stop and read it. <laughs> So you're not it's an asshole. Okay. Okay, well, I'll do it again. The film which toured from New Orleans to Atlanta. The film is going to be available on digital platforms soon. Meanwhile, Paul is currently in pre-production on his next film, White Elephants. Okay, well, we need to know, um, we need to know plot details about mm-hmm. Chosen and White Elephants in a minute. But first of all, I want to introduce you to our music guest today, you guys. Our music guest today is none other than Phil Degree. Here he is, New Orleans guitar player who plays solo gigs around town, relatively regularly at the Collins Hotel. I think that's accurate, correct? And as a member of guitar supergroup Twangarama, if you've ever sat at the columns watching Phil play and thought to yourself, why is somebody this awesome playing in this little room? Your musical judgment as astute guitar player magazine has described Phil as one of the finest players ever. How about nice. that? And that's Guitar Player Magazine. That's not Guitar Center Magazine. That's free. Yeah. Yeah. This is gu- actual Guitar Player Magazine. Hey, just tell me something. What happened on the day that came out and you read that? Well, you know... I, I used to be conceited, but now I'm just perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what but, that, no, was that? What? my mind. It's like, what are they thinking, you know? What did you think? Did I, was, you, I was... Do you think it's just flattered? Th- it's true. Did you think, oh, these guys well, are... Well, you know, there's, there's no best in the world of individuals. You know that. You know, come on. It's, it's, I got a little special thing going with this harp guitar. and Right. But, uh, you know, I'm just kind of doing my own thing. But for jazz, world. for Guitar Player Magazine to say you're one of the finest players... Ever. That what means of all time. What do they know? Are they still in print? 
I don't even know. I've never yeah, touched are. one. Are they a good magazine? I very, very much uh, have respect for those guys, and they're, right. they're still kicking it, you know. So, so that does mean something. It means something. Jazz Times called you a virtuoso and a genius. <laughs> Guitarist Steve Vai, who's played with everybody from Frank Zappa <laughs> to uh, White Snake. He was yeah. the guitarist from White Snake. He said that uh, that your playing sounds like John Coltrane meets Mel Brooks at a party for Salvador Dali. Whoa. Whoa. That's a pretty good description, isn't it? We can't go too I much longer without making wow. you play. That's Stevie. He's, He's, <laughs> yeah. How do you know Steve Vai I, from White I, Snake? I took some Steve Viagra and then... <laughs> Okay, you g- they ha- that's a good sentence because the nice. final sentence of my intro here says, you get some idea of Phil's approach to music and the world from the titles of his albums, Hello, Dali, and Innuendo and Out the Other. No, no, Innuendo, Out the Other. Oh, it's not and out no, the other. No, 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 it's big innuendo difference. Leave that damn conjunction Ah, out okay, this. I'll read that again. Okay, you get some idea of Phil's approach to music and the world from the titles of his albums, Hello, Dali, and Innuendo, Out the Other. Correct. <laughs> And, and Dali as in Salvador. Right, D-A-L-I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And our other musician here who's uh, here every week is my friend and partner, Andrew Duhon, hey who's a uh, happy hour troubadour. Andrew, welcome back. Yeah, man. How do you like it? We're at uh, Wayfair. We pulled it off. I, I think, you know, the AC is pumping, and I this know. is going to be great. I know. It is, isn't it? Yeah. So where do we start with a table full of people? We've got a musologist, a filmmaker, and one of the world's greatest guitar players ever living. Where would you start on that lineup? Uh, you had to come up with a question for somebody. Let's talk about music documentary museums. Okay. That would be a combination of everybody would have to be involved with that. Everyone would have to have one sentence about a yeah. museum of music documentaries. What's the finest music documentary of all time then, mm. Paul? Uh, I couldn't tell you on that one. I'm, I'm okay. Not, yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, Are you kidding? You don't think Spinal Tap is the so greatest? <laughs> <laughs> How right. You, have, you have to ask Ken Burns. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't make Spinal Tap. What did he make? He didn't make a music documentary, did he? He made every PBS documentary. Yeah, but not about music. You have to move in. Well, he did, right, yeah. he, did, he did something about music. Maybe it was... Oh, it was jazz. No wonder. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> history of jazz or something. Yeah. No one's interested in jazz, right? Right. That's Nobody likes that. No. Yeah. That's the smallest selling genre. Jazz is just a genre out there to, you know, be like a litmus test on who's full of shit. Really? No, I'm just. Ah. I kind of picked that up somewhere. The, the more, the more you like jazz, the more full of shit you are. Or yeah, if you say you like jazz, you're full of shit. Is the idea? Because no one could really like jazz. That's the idea. Most people say when you ask them if they like what kind of music they like, they say I like all kinds of music except country and reggae. Mm-hmm. Don't you find that? I like to say I like all kinds of music, and I can't stand all kinds of music. Mm-hmm. That's a good mm-hmm. ra- description. It yeah. is. It's true. Yeah. yeah. What's the what's what's the music you hate m- most then? Um. Probably that line dance <laughs> stuff combined with polka. Mm. Really? The accordion? It didn't work, yeah. Line dancing For me, yeah. What about you, Riddell? What I do you hate most? What kind of music? Um, what, what do you hate? What's the one thing you hate? Apart hate is from such people. That's a strong word. That's why we're using uh, it. <laughs> 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 I can say what doesn't, nor- what doesn't appeal to me um, imitation. Things that just feel uh, like there's fake. nothing new or right. nothing. Nice. It doesn't move me. I like all kinds of music that inspire that. or move me. Right, so that. what about the Rolling Stones? Worst ever, right? No. <laughs> well, that's the biggest imitation of all time, in my opinion, the Rolling Stones. The worst ep- imitation what? of yeah. who? I was just ripping off black music from 
He is. I thought, I thought oh, that was okay, Elvis. Well, that's Elvis Presley well, as well. Elvis you know, Presley is also a giant fake. No, that's a whole lot of areas. I mean, you'd go down a whole lot of roads with that. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to. You know, I'm saying just not as far as. Well, go down one road at a from, time. Then. Well, I mean, if, if well, you say imitation, if you say that they were a group that imitated, there's so many that have. I mean, mm. you know, black people have inspired music. Period. Well, I think if you go back to the drums. I mean, you know, so uh, so in that context, like I'm saying, that's a whole other story, but imitation i'm saying like the cookie cutter stuff of right. I, you know you, you you listen to five different people sing the same thing that all sounds alike mm. that kind of thing yeah so you're, you're a pro rolling stones person <laughs> even though you're the curator of the african-american museum in california you still think the rolling stones are cool are, are cool yeah uh, i don't have a problem with the rolling stones okay who you've got a problem with who stole stuff off <laughs> who do i have a problem with african-american um, huh who stole stuff off African-Americans and, oh, um, and gets too much credit for it? Elvis Presley. In, in music? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh. Start with something else then. I what mean, else is I mean you know, what you're talking about, uh, uh, people that have influenced our... I mean, we're across this culture, especially in particular talking about U.S. culture. Right. So to say, I mean, you, we, it, we influence everything from music to literature to museums to clothing to hairstyles. So, um, you know, it's it's... It's reciprocal. I'm not saying we have it all, but we, we have contributed on all those levels. If you talk about food, for example, in New Orleans, and you look at how that's represented, you would think that you know black people contributed nothing to food in New Orleans. Really? Yes. Ooh. But that's not the case. So Why would you think that? Because the way it's presented, the way it's perceived. Oh, okay. Who the expert chefs are, who the gotcha. top restaurants I are, see. who the diners are in restaurants. If you look at advertisements, if you go into any given you know top-of-the-line restaurant, and look around that who's dining, who the conversation is for, who it's marketed for, that type of thing. Mm. What is it? Reason for that? What's the reason for that? Yeah. <laughs> is that a funny question or something? You're laughing. I'm not Are laughing. Are you laughing at me? I'm not laughing. Ha ha, laughing. Right. I'm just, you know, we just dove right into this. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is the reason for that? Uh, it goes back to respect, um, ownership. You know, um, discovering things that don't belong to you and then claiming that you own them and that you run them. Like the Rolling Stones. <laughs> That's what I'm <laughs> talking about. No, see, That's I don't circle. see it that way. But okay. Anyway, yeah. But you can see that um, in some things. Like, like it's much more obvious to me in music. I mean, I'm not really, I don't know much about food, so I didn't I right. don't really think but about it. But see, that was the point that I wanted to make. Uh, yesterday. No, just now. Oh. You know, I agree with the sentiment that I like things that feel creative, but the nth degree of that is this avant-garde music that pays no respect to the forms of the western music world so there's no set chord structure and that stuff's not palatable to me but i do like the creative thing but i want it to be rooted in something else let's say you can recognize it so you can see if you go from maybe i can't i can't really like you know shrink myself or, or, or understand why I like certain music, but the music that is palatable to me is the music that feels like creative, like it's pushing something forward. Some being who was born is is making a sound, and the sound comes from them, and had they not been born, that sound would not be being made. And uh, You couldn't have come up with a better introduction to the music of Phil Degree. How about that, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, this reminds me of... Uh, you know, if you steal from one, it's uh, plagiarism. You steal from more than one, it's research. Mm. And I think everybody you're talking about who is somebody who's different stole from many. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a multiplication of accurate imitations. That's Who? what art is. It exploits that. Yeah. It's, you know, you got to steal from many. Yeah. If you just steal from one or two and, and then don't do anything with it, you have to steal and then do something with it to disguise the theft. Well, in a sense, and there's nothing yeah. new under the sun, is what you're saying. You have to... Exactly. You of course, create until you pervert it. Right. I can't believe Paul's finished another beer. I, uh, You're um, a very quick drinker. Now, why do you have to pee in the uh, video camera? I'm, I'm a little bit of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit worried that I'm gonna have to pee while I'm at this table. Oh, you can. Um, we don't care about that. Oh, okay. We have, a, we have a video you're camera. Not, You're not even video. 30 yeah. years old, yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Phil, grab a guitar and play something. Uh -oh. Because wait till you see this guitar. We have to talk about the guitar for a minute. Wait till you yeah. see this guitar on the radio. Yeah. yeah. Wait till you see this, guys. <laughs> we'll take. We'll have a photo of it on our on our site there. It's neworleans.com. Yeah. I don't think this stuff comes from anywhere. So, Riddell, I didn't mean to put you on the spot asking you about, you know... About black stuff? About black <laughs> stuff. Or, well, about black, white people ripping off black people as a subject. But I, didn't, I thought it was pretty interesting seeing we have the curator of... I mean, seeing you teach about this. This is what you teach about, right? Um, I'm in, in general, but not... I mean, I do have a degree in African-American studies, and I have lived black all of my life. So, I mean, I do have that perspective, um, you know, so... Just, yeah, that's it. yeah, yeah. So I mean, th so that's something that, yeah. I mean, I, I, and I take that serious. I mean, you mentioned that I was laughing, not laughing in the sense of that. That's funny. I'm, you know, was smiling at the idea that we, you, you dove right into the was middle your of expense? something. You know, it's so. more <laughs> exasperation, sort of, like how ridiculous can you get? Well, but sometimes because when those questions are out there like that, there's way more context than right. just a simple mm -hmm. answer to it. So. Well, I'd love to find out yeah. something about it, though. About the seeing whole we're sitting here, seeing, we're, yeah, seeing, I mean, seeing that's what you do. I mean, the, the history of black America is that talking about running a black museum. And yeah, I don't even know there was a history of black American museum. I know there's a World War II museum. I know there's like a sort of a Holocaust museum. Well, it's not museum. here, is it? Uh, actually, there is an, a black museum or an African American museum in every city in the U.S., mm. um, including Hawaii. Um, we have, as a matter, the Smithsonian is opening, set to open in 2015 the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. So the newest Smithsonian Museum is dedicated to African-American history and culture. So it's not anything new. Um, museums have existed, African-American museums have ex existed in this country for, I mean, since documented probably around 1930 or so and continuing on. I mean, Do kids in elementary school have to go on a tour of an African-American museum as part of their education here? No, they usually go on tours of white museums as part of their educational, formal education. So what training. does that tell you? Okay. Um, that tells you that uh, the information, that. material, objects that are in white museums are more significant than those that are in African-American museums. Right. I wasn't even aware there was an African-American museum. Is there one here? I went to one like... Why are museums there's segregated? A, there's a few here. Because we live in a society that is. And so they're just extension of the culture that we live in. I feel you. But the African-American experience is unique to... So, well, in the meantime... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the meantime, where, where you know, we can understand that... That they're there needs to be an African-American museum because uh, it's not well enough represented in the museum, quote-unquote. No, I don't know if I have a question No, it needs there. to be, well, no, it, there needs to be, in my opinion, there mm. needs to be a museum that talks about American history that is comprehensive enough and includes stories so that you don't have to go out and build a separate museum. Right. We are the right. United that's States of America, Andrew, that's so what we Andrew should be united right. in, in yeah. museums yeah. as yeah. well. Yeah. Okay. You know, and on that note, <laughs> Phil, what do you, look, here's Phil's guitar. It's how many strings on this thing? Is it 17? Yes, sir. It's a seven-string guitar, first of all, with ten extra strings. 
It's called the guitar. That's like thirty. That's like thirty strings. Well, in dog in dog strings, it would be. <laughs> and it, this guitar was designed by Phil Degree. It's the only one in the entire world. Wow. And it's called the guitar because it's part guitar and part harp. Oh, I can. As you can hear. So, so Phil, can you uh, can you kind of give us like a layman's kind of like Grant was doing, but he's not a musician, so. Can you give us a layman's rundown in 20 to 30 seconds about what you're actually playing right now, which is not just a guitar? It's uh, basically the harp strings are, are set up so that the right hand can keep doing an arpeggio. And, okay, if you don't know what an, ar- ar- an arpeggio is, it's, a, it's something that uh, it sounds like this. That's just the seven strings. Now I'm going to go into the harp strings. So I developed this this tuning, and I just leave it basically in the key of D flat, which which is basically the uh, black keys of the piano. And then the regular strings I, I look at as the white keys. It's it's all black and white, man. We are back there's and white. There's no there's no gray area. There's no fill the gray area. And the other thing about this interesting guitar is that the frets are not straight up and down like a normal no, they're, guitar. It's, they're on it's a, a fan weird f- angle. Yeah, it's a fan fret system uh, that was created uh, by Ralph Novak on the West Coast, and uh, it's really. It's, it's what Pythagoras would do if he was making a guitar today. Mm. So you have a shorter uh, treble string, which enables me to tune my high A string up to pitch. And then you have a longer bass string. And there, everything is uh, <laughs> perfect. Hmm. It's hard to understand how that makes sense. And y- yeah, i got to ask questions there. So when I'm playing a standard acoustic guitar with all the frets mm-hmm. at, a, at the you know, perpendicular yeah. angle to the strings... What am I missing out on? Um, doing stuff like picking up chicks. Doing, <laughs> doing this chord E. Uh-huh. See, and if you had a seventh string though, all right, you can hold that that note there, which is which is the B. Sure. Then you can move that up. Hold that there. Try that on a regular straight fret. Chord. It ain't happening. Right. Uh, <laughs> s- s- uh, stretch stuff. So physically, how does it work that a guitar can have perpendicular it's pa- frets? It's all Pythagoras, man. Man, I was never good at math anyway. Yeah, it's all, it all works out. It looks weird. It looks like it's going to be a real problem. It didn't take long to get used to. And then, yeah. and then when I play a regular f- straight fret guitar, I say, no, this, this is kind of not, not right. Well, not yeah. bogus. It's just, hmm. Yeah. This isn't what Pythagoras would want. Yeah. It's ergonomic in yeah. some... See, this shows you something about... Oh, sorry. Phil, you know, and, uh, you know, just sl- slanting your fingers and catching the other string. Just different things. But it's not a big deal, because it, when it gets around here, it's pretty normal. Yeah. You know, it around the midsection of the fretboard, yeah, right. it doesn't look fanned at all. It's really on the ends yeah. that it looks weird, yeah. you know. Mm. Where was your... Where'd your inspiration come from? that did you want to hear the sound or well was it the, the, what the happened style? was I couldn't tune up my old I had another harp guitar and I couldn't tune it up to pitch and uh, met this character named Charlie Hunter who's this 
phenomenal eight-string guitar player. He's down to seven now. <laughs> but anyway, he turned me on to the, his luthier who made his guitar, and the, the problem was solved with me popping the string. So I needed a shorter, you know, it was like, it was, this, this system was made for me, especially mm -hmm. with a high A, because most seven-string guitars have a low bass string, no problem. But if you have a high A, mm -hmm. it's a problem, and you're going to be popping a string, unless it's a uh, shorter scale length. Perfect. See, this is what I like about Phil, is that when you become someone who's like one of the world's greatest guitar players, <laughs> most of these guys then come up with a guitar that somebody makes that has their name on it that everybody else wants to play, because I want to sound like Phil, De Phil Degree in this case, or the Steve Vai Stratocaster or whatever. Yeah. But Phil designed a guitar that nobody else in the world can possibly play, and that there's well, only one. So there's absolutely no commercial value whatsoever to this thing. This this is funny because it reminds me when I, uh, after Katrina, I was in New York and somebody introduced me to Les Paul and uh, I was invited to sit in with him on a Monday night at Iridium where he played every Monday. It was a, his gig for years. And uh, so I get up there with my guitar and he, I met him before the gig, you know, we talked and I get up there and he says, that's ah, a nice guitar. I don't see my name on it. <laughs> <laughs> Funny guy. Anyway. Nice. Well, anyway, it's a, it's a, it is an amazing instrument that you've created and specifically for you. So let's hear you play something. Right. What are you going to play? I'll play uh, Beyond the Sea. Nice. All right. Thank you. 
Wow. <laughs> Andrew's almost fainting. I, I screwed up the intro, man. Did you? Yeah. Who would not? No, I mean, knows, I, man. I recovered. I didn't no, I love. No I, I love that you saved the butter for like the last five seconds. That's what it's all about. That's great. <laughs> Thanks. That's stupefying watching somebody play like that, isn't it? Mm. Sitting yeah. here. I mean, we're sitting at a little, little tiny, little round table or square, actually, isn't it? A square table. It is yeah. a square. It's a square table. table. We're sitting around a square table. It's such a, it's so amazing to watch someone do that. Just thank you very much. Incredible. One of the world's great guitar players. That's it. For nice. real. Hey, um, Paul, beautiful. how did you yes. get to be a filmmaker? Did you just decide one day after the peeing incident that yeah, after the there's no way back? Well, when I was a kid, um, my mom worked late, and my dad had to watch us when we were kids, and he was like, well, shit, I don't really know what to do with kids, you know? So he was like, all right, well, i tell you what we'll do. He would show us a lot of movies, you know, when I was growing up, so we reached a point where we would like, oh, all right, Dad, we've seen, you know, Rocky 12 fucking times. We don't see it, see it again. <laughs> so he was like, all right, here's what we're going to do, because this VHS home cameras just came out. Had you know? it fixed at this point. Right, yeah. So he was like, all right, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to remake Rocky. And so, you know, Whoa. and we would we would remake all these movies, you know, with me and my brother and my sister, and it was just, like, really stupid. They came out absolutely horrible. But, you know, it was a, it was a great experience as a kid growing up with that, and then... It ruined me, I guess, you know. I was, I was like, I could have had a career. I tell my dad that now. I was you like, could have peed on a guitar, for right. Christ's sake. You know? <laughs> I could play like that. You then, could have been you know? one of the most great guitar players <laughs> if you'd peed on a guitar, yeah. But uh, that's, I think that's how it all started, yeah. Did you actually make any of these movies, the Rocky remakes? Well, after, uh, after a while, you know, as we got older, my dad kind of got disinterested in doing it. And uh, me and my brother started to pick up the cameras, and then we came up with things we called, like, we had uh, a character called Fat Mama who was basically just me with a pillow stuffed in my shirt and a wig <laughs> on my head. And it was this cursing, beer-drinking, you know, lady where, who where, was... What part of the country was this in? Here? This, this was here, yeah. This in was New Orleans? Old, yeah, well, uh, on the North Shore in Covington area. Yeah, you grew so. up in Covington playing the part of Fat Mama with that a was, wig yeah, on your head and my, a pillow wig stuffed on my head, and yeah. At home. This, this probably sounds a lot weirder than, you know... Have your parents been reported to child protective <laughs> services? <laughs> Anything like that? No, no. Not, not, not yet, yeah, no. And what are the rest of your family? What do you have brothers and sisters that made these other? What yeah. parts do they play? Uh, my my older brother was you know he was usually he was always the main character in things, and I was like the the whatever the character you know the the supporting actor and stuff. And then subsequently I wound up behind the camera and being like, all right, well Stephen, do this, you know, and I would tell him what to do and stuff like that. And my little sister, really, when we started out doing it, she was too young to really do anything, so she would just kind of cry all the time. And we'd get her on camera. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that's, that's a role. Yeah, you know, that's typecast. <laughs> so what are the other two siblings doing? Uh, my older brother is a law enforcement uh, park ranger in Arkansas, actually. Yeah, sort of a different path than me. He chases down meth heads. That's, that's, does he really? He really does. It's, it's pretty... <laughs> he calls me, like, once a week, and he tells me ridiculous stories about the things that he's doing. He's like, man, I was up on the mountain, and there was this crazy guy carrying briefcases, and I had to stop him, and he was throwing briefcases at me. And I was like, Jesus, man, that's... Anyway, so he I goes don't on... Know, I don't know enough about meth. Do you guys know anything no. about meth? Well, it's so popular now that they have a place in Arkansas, uh, Bed, Meth, and Beyond. <laughs> 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 you know, for those last dying moments. Nice. <laughs> you know. Why are the, I mean, why are these meth people in the public park? I, you know, it's uh, there's just it's a mountain area, and I guess it's really woodsy, so it's easy to go back there and do a bunch of meth. I don't... My knowledge of yeah. meth is limited to Breaking Bad, you know. That's well, that's what everybody says. <laughs> Riddell, do you know anything yeah. about meth? No. Nothing? 
Mm-mm. How much are you paying for it right now, dear? <laughs> <laughs> I use a broker, so uh, I'm you've not got quite sure. Got a middle <laughs> <man>? <laughs> yeah. But what are they doing outside in the wide open? That's at least it's nice you know, up there outside right. the mess. Oh, it's a beautiful, beautiful area. You know, oh yeah, definitely. He's he's got some crazy stories. That yeah. He's, yeah. Well, most of the drugs I've done involve being indoors. Don't they? They don't involve running around, you know, having <laughs> well, the dr- drugs blow I away. I feel like the problem starts to happen when it doesn't involve being outdoors. You think better drug taking is outdoors? I would well, think at least. Well, you could take it inside, but if it doesn't involve going outside after, then there's a problem. And what are we talking about? Is it doing well, a lot well, outside? Illegal drugs. Oh, okay. Well, are there any? <laughs> I guess yeah, no, you can drink a coffee and stay out- inside. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> But like, you know, um, yeah, um, you know, it, I I completely retract my statement. That's you know, I'm, I'm finding just, holes in this argument. I'm finding no, no, no. I'm I got to tell you what I like to do when I go outside. Yeah. As far as drugs, I like to, uh, <laughs> I like to inject my blood into a poppy flower and like I like to watch it die from withdrawal. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sport that I've been doing in a certain time of year in a certain field. Yeah. I'm outstanding in my field. Yeah. Anyway. You're outstanding uh, in your puppy field. Uh, Very nice. Okay. Up, oh. That was a long build-up for a punchline. <laughs> that was not even a punchline. <laughs> <laughs> you just kind of injected yeah. it in there. Okay. Just so like the blood. So, Paul, what's the, what's the uh, plot of this film that went on a big uh, tour from all the way from New Orleans Oh, yeah, the, the crazy tour. Yeah. Um, it's, it's pseudo-inspired by actual events. Uh, there was, I probably shouldn't say this because I probably wind up getting sued. Um, no one listened to this. <laughs> okay, well, we're good. Yeah, you're fine. Uh, yeah. There was an Italian uh, actress named Yelena Carisi who came to New Orleans in the, uh, the early 90s. And she did the Italian version of Wheel of Fortune. She was like the Vanna White of Italy. What is that called in Italian? Uh, Wheel of Fortune. Yeah. That's, that's I can't believe you don't know that. You know the woman's <laughs> name and you don't know the name of the show. <laughs> What's her name again? Yelena Carisi. Doesn't even sound like a real name, does it? No, he made it up. Yeah, no, it was, okay, Yelena it was Carisi. Okay, what does she look like? Like Vanna? Yeah, she was a blonde-haired, gorgeous girl. And right. uh, she started Did they have a wheel or did it spin the other way? Or was it I, you know, I'm not, it would be the not Australia sure. Yeah. would spin the other it way. Spin the other way, yeah. right, yeah, because you're on the other side of the world. Yeah. But anyway, uh, what, yeah. did, what, what was the show like? Well, you had to pick it. What did they say? You had to buy a vowel? Yeah, you pick Italian words. Yeah. Italian. How could you? <laughs> That's, they all immediately got the end of every word, you know, because it was... I want to buy an O. But, uh, yeah, she came to New Orleans and started shacking up with this street musician, and she wound up disappearing. And uh, <laughs> I wasn't expecting <laughs> yeah, that. No, yeah. yeah. Sorry, this took a dark turn there. But uh, So the story is sort of about this guy years later uh, researching what happened to that character and then what happened behind the disappearance, and there's sort of a conspiracy behind it and that kind of thing. Oh. Yeah. yeah well, you know why the Italians don't like Jehovah, Jehovah's Witnesses? They don't like any witnesses. Okay, now uh, that's it's good. <laughs> that's a stereotypical uh, decent anti-Italian. Way better. Okay. No. <laughs> why why don't uh, Jehovah's Witnesses like Halloween? They don't like strangers ringing their doorbell. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, there you're an equal opportunity offender now, so that's okay. Thank you. We'll keep going. Hey, um, so what? So that's the so the plot is not actually about the crime of Yelena Carisi disappearing right. and who killed her or whatever happened to her. 
It's about you researching the story. Yeah, it's the so you're the main character. Back to the remake. You're back to being playing whatever her name was. I, I big guess, mom. Yeah, yeah. I guess the main character is kind of fat mom. Fat mom. Big mom is another story altogether. That's that's a travesty. We, right there. we were very upset when Big Mama like was first coming out because we yeah. thought they'd ripped us off because well, we were like could ten years old. Sue Tyler Perry. Okay, okay, so now I'm going to have to ask what I was thinking earlier. If you could do a little bit of your character. I can't even honestly remember what the voice oh, was sure or anything like that. Sure, you can. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, sure. Have another beer. That's number yeah, five. <laughs> number yeah. five. Is, and is then a true yeah. actor, a liar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you in the movie? Is that what you're saying? I, well, no, no. Well, I I make a little Alfred Hitchcock esque cameo in the movie. Okay. But so, I'm, so yeah. Riddell, you're talking about playing. You wanted to hear a bit of a bit of Fat Mama. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Well, that's what I thought about when you first mentioned yeah. the character. You would like to hear what does Fat Mama say? What's Fat Mama's like uh, main line? With like you know, well, these characters always have a line mm-hmm. they always say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think she would just say that she was Fat Mama. That was like her big thing. She I was, was Fat like, Mama. How it would say it? Come on, right? How would <laughs> you say it? <laughs> it was something like, a, "I'm a Fat Mama." You know. <laughs> It was, yeah, there would be like a, a build-up to a thing, and it would always wind up, wind up with somebody getting killed in the first five minutes of the movie, in which Fat Mama would say that and kill them. Mm. That was, you know... So Fat Mama was the person killing them. Right, but it was always like a, a good reason why she killed people. Was you your know? mother, in fact, fat? No, my, my mother's actually very, a, a very fit woman. So right. yeah, was what was she working late at? Uh, she, my parents run a jewelry store, actually. They the, run one or they own it? They own it, yeah. They, What's they own it called? It. It's uh, Andale Jewelers. Yeah, over on is the, it still the going? North Shore. It is still going. Yeah, they uh, doing. They're doing well. They're still there. So you know. What do they sell? They sell you know all kind of stuff. There's uh, they do a lot of cause related jewelry. After cause related. Yeah, cause no. related. Anyone got a clue about that, Phil? No. What yeah. cause? Well, after Hurricane Katrina, for example, they came out with the "I Know What It Means to Love New Orleans" badge, and that became a big uh, thing. And yeah, so stuff like that, you know. What other causes would there be though? Uh, pr- are they praying for a hurricane this year? <laughs> Not quite, no. <laughs> they're not that, that much of a, I guess... Mercenary. Opportunist. <laughs> but, um, no, they've done, you know, cancer pieces, pieces for autism, things like that, you know. So ah. Yeah, that's that's their main focus. There's a market for that? People with autism want an autism? Right, piece? well, you, people, like the pink family members and, and stuff like that, awareness. yeah. They, it's, and they donate a lot of money to these different causes, charities and stuff like that, so... Ah. Yeah. So they just come up with that? They dream it up at home, like, yeah, they sitting around and say, you know what we should do? <laughs> Liver cancer. That's that's <laughs> one that has That's been it. Up. Yeah, no, that's big market there. Yeah, right. Big mama. I mean, I'll probably. Yeah, you need another. You should. You're going to have a liver problem if that's you keep drinking this. That, that's the this hope, rate. you know. I've never seen someone drink a beer that fast, actually, to tell you the truth. And I've watched a lot of people drink across this table. Not this particular table. But a lot of the, yeah, at the table. Yeah. Well. You're a speed drinker. I, do you I have do a drinking problem of any type? Not, not at the moment. Um, I used to. You know, I stole a TV it? once from drinking too much. But that's you a whole stole the TV from drinking yeah. too much. Who from? Uh, well, we Did were you pee in the VHS? <laughs> I just, you know, right there on the middle of the... <laughs> um, yeah, no, we were we were drinking these shots called Gary Busey shots, which wow. I, I'm sure Gary's everybody's familiar wow. with Gary Busey. Yeah, I'm trying no. to imagine well, what a Gary... Yeah. I don't it's know what shot. shot. It's, uh, we're really going down an interesting road <laughs> yeah. here today, I think. <laughs> it's gin, rum, Jaeger, whiskey, amaretto, oh, tequila, and no. Listerine. Oh. What about the What about the crank? <laughs> 
Wow. Hey, okay. I, I'm impressed you can even remember that after five beers. Can you say that again? What gin? What? Gin, rum, Jaeger, whiskey, Amaretto, tequila, and Listerine. What? I can see so, why the Listerine. Sounds like the mom's ball. <laughs> <laughs> right. That was like pre-programmed for a hangover incident. You need hangover destroyer. That's, that was yeah. last week. I, 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 I listened to that. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty gotta, good. You need that. Th- you can buy that online. Is you that? You can. You can okay, buy it at the hangover hd.com I think it will just Google hangover destroyer. And it'll destroy your hangover. That's the you're the kind of guy who needs it. Yeah, definitely. That's uh, who invented the Gary Busey shot. Assumedly not Uh, Gary Busey. No, no, that was uh, me and my friend Cameron. Oh, you invented the Gary Busey shot. Yeah, yeah. We were we were talking one night. Well, we thought you know like who's the craziest person we could think of, and I guess you know. Charles Manson wasn't, you know. <laughs> Charles Manson wasn't available. Right, yeah, we were thinking about that, and I was like, that's eh, too crazy. I don't know if I can drink a drink called the Charles Manson, you know. I don't want to kill anybody. So, um, well, yeah, Charlie Sheen could have fit in there. <laughs> the Charlie Sheen, yeah, that, 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 that would be the that next would one. <laughs> <laughs> Whose idea was it to add the Listerine at the, at the end of it? Well, it... <laughs> Originally, we, we basically mixed up everything we had in our fridge, and... Um, so you're a real fucking alcoholic, bro, because that, <laughs> that's, that's the real thing, right? Hey, that was, that was his fridge, skid, right? man. <laughs> <laughs> I was at my friend's house. It was in his fridge. But, uh, yeah, and at the end of it, we were like, this isn't crazy enough. What can we do to make this worse? And we tried a bunch of different things. Soap was in there at one point. Oh, Protein right, yeah. powder. <laughs> Ultimately, okay. we opted for now, what, what fraternity is this? Yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> listen. Yeah, yeah. okay. So... We got. I'm going to come back and ask you about the new picture as well. When, when, how can we see this movie chosen? Okay, it's got yes. the uh, Vanna White of Italy in it. Yes, so I'd like to uh, see that. It's who uh, plays the Vanna White of Italy in the movie? Her name is. Uh, got Vanna White. No, no, yeah, she's a little bit, you know, up there now. You know, she can't really. I mean, this yeah. is sure she's taking place 20 years ago, so. Oh. 20, 30 is it years. a period piece? It's set in the. Well, it's uh, it's a flashback. So we oh, go. Okay. We have nowadays, and then it flashes back to the 80s, in which she disappeared. You know. So I didn't I guess even. Did, years did you know that know. story, Rodell? Have you ever heard that story? No. Phil, you from here your whole life. Did you ever hear about Vanna White of Italy disappearing in 1980 something? No. No, I thought that was going <laughs> to. I thought that was going to be a no. I just had a feeling. Andrew's never heard of it either. Okay. Oh so, well, you know. so when do we get to see it? Uh, well, it's going to be up on some digital platforms. You know, iTunes, uh, Amazon, all that kind of stuff. We're doing self-distribution through a company called Kino Nation. Right. Um, do we have to pay for it, or can we steal it? Uh, I mean, I'm sure you could wind up stealing. I don't know it, how to know. steal stuff up. You can steal music. Stealing? Can you steal movies? Oh yeah, you can. You, you can steal anything. Mm. Can you? How do you steal a movie, Andrew? You want to play something for us? In the meantime, while we grab a guitar, we're going to find out how to okay. steal a movie. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Go grab a guitar, and how do you steal a movie? Because I'd like to know that for real. I guess you just torrent it, you know? It's BitTorrent. Yeah, BitTorrent, or uh, okay. you can always stream it on uh, PrimeWire. That's a it's a big... PrimeWire? I shouldn't be saying this. You this totally should, because... I'm, I'm going to be... I'm, I'm cutting my own legs off more. here. <laughs> well, but you must be aware of this, because this is going to ruin your whole livelihood. Right, exactly. So I don't. So that's why you know, I, but yeah, I don't I really know how to do it. Know. So you go to BitTorrent.com or Right, or PrimeWire. Prime PrimeWire, you can stream stuff, and so it's technically not illegal. There's like a legal loophole there. So who puts it up there? Uh, just some kids. Yeah, some kids on the internet. Who you don't put your own movie up there. No, no, I wouldn't do that. So it's called Chosen. It's called Chosen, and uh, also I'm waiting to hear back from the people who do the five dollar bin at Walmart. Um, yeah, so that'd be very exciting. So if they're listening right now, yeah, what, hopefully what? they're going to lab. I'm going to tell you how to make some money, by the way, and <laughs> okay. selling wait, stuff. Wait, what is it? The five. The, you know, you ever been to Walmart and you see that five dollar bin of movies and stuff? 
haven't been to Walmart. Oh, though. man. Yeah, you I wouldn't have thought Walmart there was a screening process. Last $5 yeah, you, that's a rough. Well, I thought so the crap went in there that they couldn't sell. Yeah, that's so, yeah. There's, that's one, there's one company in particular that does all those movies, and it's, you know, it's all the movies that don't have you know, anybody who has name value. They're the Walmart of $5 bins. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> uh, you never would think that there would be such a thing. With yeah, but, God, but it's a... Yeah. No, I thought that's where all the movies that nobody wanted to watch ended up, and so... No, there's, sometimes there's, you can find no, yeah. It's the movies that nobody wants to watch that everybody wants to watch. Right. It's yeah. the really hip cult it's the movie. good ones. But you yeah. have to actually it's get in. There. Yeah, it, so there's there's a screening process. So I'm waiting. i got another week before I hear back from those guys. Mm. So we'll see oh, what I'll happens. I'll have to follow up on that. It's yes. like Phil. Plan 9 from Out of Space. <laughs> That's, that was the old one. That, <laughs> that was the one. You had to worked. watch yeah. that. Yeah. That was good. Anyway, I'm going to tell you guys how to make money the cult, on cult selling stuff. All right. I'm going to have Riddell explain it to you after Andrew plays us a song. All right. Sounds good. What are you going to play? Uh, well, I guess, uh, man, it's been a while since I've played a song, so I want to play a song that um, I think Phil can relate to this, that uh, people ask you what kind of music you play, you know, and then you're like, uh, I don't know what you call it, and I include folk in that realm, and this is definitely a folk song, because it, it, it was like part of my experience. We were playing a show in Lafayette. Uh, it was myself and my bass player, and we woke up in the next morning, and we went to get a coffee, and we're standing in line, and Miles kind of double takes at the wall, and he looks at a photo, and he gets a little closer, and he leans across a booth, and he takes a good look at this photo, and he comes back kind of in a daze, just looking straight up, and he says, dude, you got to go look at that photo on the wall. And so I went to look at it, and uh, what I saw was a 1940s picture of one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my life. And uh, so we got our coffee and we got in our car driving back to New Orleans. I'd say still in a daze, but what we were doing is we were having this conversation about how we would court such a woman, <laughs> you know, like in the 1940s or something. But so I went, I went, I went home and I wrote, a, I wrote a love song to a woman who was like long gone. So uh, it goes like this. <laughs> Taken back by a photograph Never seen such a face She was a waitress from the days Of black and white Taken here though so many years ago At this cafe That I'm sure these days She wouldn't recognize Oh Cecilia Champagne I've come along much too late to know the days of your maiden name Had our times been the same You'd have known well my name Oh Cecilia, I'd steal you away But I've come along much too late Nothing gold stays Time passes on Even black and white fades And we move along Still in my mind Lifts a red wine Strawberry blind Cherry cokes for the boys 
in your uniform Oh, Cecilia Champagne I've come along much too late To know the days of your maiden name Had our times been the same I'd visit you every day Oh, Cecilia, I'd steal you away But I've come along much too late Does your soul smile down now Stealing hearts all over town Oh, Cecilia Champagne Come along much too late To know the days of your maiden name Had our times been the same You'd have known well my name Oh, Cecilia, I'd steal you away But I've come along much too late Thanks, Joe. Yeah. Huh? Well, we took that opportunity while you were playing that for Paul to nip off at the bar and get another beer. That's what I would have done if Good somebody job. else was playing. Good job, no, that's Paul. <laughs> Andrew, that's, that's a nice song. song. Thanks, man. What did you think, Riddell? I think why does something like that have to have a category? It's a beautiful story. Oh, thanks. It's right. a beautiful song. Right. And you get lost in trying to categorize that and say what, what it falls under mm. as far as music. It's just a beautiful story. Yeah. Isn't storytelling the best? Yes. It is. That's. I almost cried just now, man. That was beautiful. I don't believe you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for saying that. That was. In that the was no. It was. It was. It was touching, man. It's like. Are you uh, just saying that? For no, some no. Weird really, that was. That, that you're was pretending to be crying. At I, I'm not pretending at me to be crying. Look at me both our eyes and say it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you just did. You just tied us all together. I mean, we sat down with the notion that we were in very different fields, and there was, you know, we did no common connection or no cord. Mm. And you just did that because we all three tell stories. And mm. it's just based on how you tell the story. Amen. Nice. Yeah. Mm. Can we get to the museum thing now, Grant? Do you want to? I want to. I kind of want to. Okay. I was what gonna, were you going to talk about? I was going to talk about how you make money uh, writing books and records and making records and so on. Okay. Because, you know, our crack research team gives me absolutely nothing. As long as you get to the when museologist, which, it, which the wasn't music. a word okay. until today. All right. So listen to this. So, first of all... I type Riddell Hearn's name into Facebook. You're not on Facebook. I'm not. Not on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Okay. <laughs> Opting out of Question the Question number one. Why, not on, why are you not on Facebook? Because this is a downfall of society. <coughs> Sorry. You had some <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It seems like, it may, like a conflict because I, I teach online, but yeah. I, I don't socialize online. Uh, one of the reasons is that, um, with all due respect to people that are out there, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think a lot, and there's a lot of conversation that's off the top. And so that's why there's a lot of backtracking and a lot of uh, apologies, that sort of thing. Apologies? When I say something, Facebook? I say it and I mean it. And so, right. and, I'm, and I put some thought behind that. So it's just not something that has ever been of interest to me. I've never been on Facebook, I'm tweeting or anything like that. And also, I think for me too, it's generational. 
I mean, that's a little bit past my demographic, I think. You're not that old, are you? Old enough to not be interested. Old enough to not care about Facebook? Yeah. Are all your friends, are the other museologists on, is it museologist or museologist? Uh, museologist. Museologist. Mm -hmm. Are other museologists on Facebook? Absolutely. I mean, my, so pro no, my program, we are across the board with, um, you know, with all the different right. forms of social media. I'm not anti-social media. That's just not the way I choose to, to socialize. I'd rather have a conversation would you? with somebody. With who? Mm -hmm. Who would you like to talk to right now? Other than me, of course. And this sitting around the table. Who do you like talking to? Uh, to what I like talking to just in general? Yeah, in general. Um, I, You know what? I'm just not a... I'm, I don't talk on the phone a lot. Um, just well, then that knocks but out but the, <laughs> the internet, the telephone. <laughs> what does that leave? I have a phone. Ah, uh, geez, who do I talk to? I talk to I talk to quite a few different different people. You I have mean, a bunch I of talk. cats, don't you? <laughs> no, 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 I don't. I'm not a I'm not a pet person either. I've got cats. That, yeah, no, okay, I'm not no that pets, <laughs> no internet, no telephone. Okay, so who are you talking to tonight after you leave here? Who are you going to talk to? I'm talking to my friend Graham. Okay. And I enjoy talking to she's, her. She's our producer. It's the same person, right? Yes, it's the okay. same person. Right. Uh -huh. She's good. She's a good conversationalist. She is. I enjoy conversations yeah. with her. Okay. Mm -hmm. I met a friend in the park yesterday in City Park and talked to her. Okay. We talked. Do you mm -hmm. have a partner, like a boyfriend, girlfriend, or anything like no, that? No, I don't. No? Mm -hmm. So you got no one to talk to at home at all? Uh, no, not at home, no. You I live by myself. So when you're not wasting time on Facebook, what are you wasting time doing? Uh, I like to read. Uh... I work, I'm on the road quite a bit for work. And so when I'm on the road, I'm the person that's talking because I'm the in, I'm a consultant, right. so mm -hmm. I do a lot of talking. Okay, I'm going to let Andrew ask you a question about museology, but I just, uh, so anyway, this is what happened. I, I see women not on Facebook at all. Mm -hmm. So that screws up my whole research because that's all I do, actually, is I get look someone's Facebook profile, I look at like five things about them, and I like think I know everything. Yeah. So I had to go to Amazon.com, okay? And, and I see that you've written a book. Is this you? Uh, it's called... Oh, I, I can't read. From Practice to Theory? Oh, yes. You mm -hmm. wrote this book? Yes. Okay. This is on Amazon.com. It's a paperback, by the way. Uh, it's also available in England on something called Waterstones or Waterstones or something like that, which is another website. Anyway, look at the price of this book, everybody. Here it is. I think this is Canadian dollars, but these days it doesn't make any difference. Check, check the price out of this book. Holy God. What does that say? It says 91 Canadian dollars and 54 Canadian cents. cents. 91. Have a look at that, Rodell. This okay, is Exhibit A. <laughs> that, that is your book, isn't I it? I didn't do it. Guilty. I didn't do it. Um, you know, low publication. I mean, that's because it is low. For a book? Well, you know it's what? Awesome there's there's news. a book that actually that 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 I'm interested in in pur purchasing. It's a book about museums and law, and it's ninety dollars. I'm not. How many have you I mean, sold this low. week? Ninety-one. 50. You know what? Actually, I don't even really I don't even track that. Um, it's not. I mean, it's something that if it's someone that it's that's not the purpose or the intent for me with with to the book. It. But it, yeah. Look at Paul's face. He's like. I'm thinking ninety-one dollars yeah, for a five-dollar bin at Walmart. Well, maybe, <laughs> well, maybe we can you talk about me getting well, a five-dollar bin. <laughs> you don't even care about ninety-one bucks. I think we need a well, five-dollar book bin. Then mm. I like it. Yeah, we'll get on this. Okay, be ahead of the curve. There we go. Well, nobody's going to buy a book for five or any dollars at all, probably. What are they normally? Well, yeah. at Walmart. Are they selling books at Walmart? Sure. Yeah, they are. Okay. That's the wrong demographic for both of you guys. $91.54. Anyway, congratulations on selling a book for $91 on Amazon. That has to be... I don't know if there's anywhere to, to search Amazon Actually, I didn't price. even know it was on Amazon, so that's, that is Good news thing to me you right came there. On the show, so right? I learned something about me <laughs> today. Look at that. So who published it? And what's it about? Here, Andrew, you have a chance to ask a question. What is it about now? It's about Museum Studies Curriculum. Okay, so so my question... Museum sorry. Yeah, I don't mean to jump in so fervently, but um, uh, 
what's the deal with this museology? What, I, I'd be willing to bet that I'm not the only person that doesn't know that there's a, a academic genre having to do with museum establishment. You just look so suspect right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's had a few drinks, but I know what he's That's saying. True. Yeah, like uh, to make a museum, right? That's that's a it's an entire it's a science. Yeah. Museum studies is the more popular term, if that helps ring any bells at all. Um, Museology is the theory. And so the the title of that is theory theory to practice or practice to theory. Um, There's there's probably a big difference there, but who cares? There's a lot of practical application of museum work, and that's really what you see. You see people that work in museums, and they are putting together exhibitions. They're putting together public programs, hanging exhibits, that sort of thing. There is an academic side of museums, museum studies. Museology is the pedagogy for studying. While a lot of people go into practice, um, I'm a person that went into the theoretical part of it. So I think about museums, I write about museums, I consult museums, and so that's all comprehensively thinking about the practice. Um, you talk about museums? I, I talk about museums. Um, I'm actually going to Miami next week as um an expert witness for the city of Miami, city of North Miami, which is actually going into mediation with a, a museum there. So it's there. There's all those different kinds of, of okay, things that come on the theoretical side. Okay, you have to stop right side. there, right now. What's the case? Um, it's the case of the museum, the North Miami Museum of Contemporary Art, uh, that is owned by the city of North Miami, and they are. Um, in litigate, well, they're trying to keep it out of litigation, but they're in disagreement with the board of the museum that wants to move to South Beach. So this is a story. I mean, the story was in the New York Times. It's something that is. It's. I'm not there's saying anything out of line. Stop me if I do, as far as the legal league. But guys um, who want to you know. move a museum, there's that gets a court case. I want to move the, to another building, and they're going to court about that. And yes, you have that they to are. heaven. What What's your role going to be? What are you going to say? I will be speaking about um, museum practice and what is. I will be advising the lawyers about the standard practice for museums, hmm. and so what What would be agreeable? Um, you say move or don't move. <coughs> Excuse me. What do I say? You say do they should move or they shouldn't move? Uh, in this case, they really they not only shouldn't they move, but they are not. They don't really have a strong case for moving because the city owns a museum. I can't understand um, why that would be such a big deal. I mean, it's just like a business decision, isn't it? It's a good idea to move or it's not a good idea to move. So actually, it's not. There's a lot of different... It, when, it, I mean, there's a lot of power and money and uh, cultural capital, if you could think of it that way, in terms of that museums carry in this country. So it's not about... I mean, if you move a museum that is a really well-established... In, in the international um, stage, out of an, one area to another area, that's a statement about the area that it's in. And it really, in this case, is going to come back to full circle from the beginning of the conversation because the, the demographics of the community is changing. And so the board so is saying more, we got to pull out. There's more white people or more Hispanic people or more who's who doesn't want it or who does want it? The South Beach is more is wealthier okay. and whiter. Okay. And North Miami, where the museum is currently located, um, is turning more African American and particularly Haitian. So that's the demographic makeup. Well, I can't figure out. Do you, do you feel like which. the museology leans? Because I'm seeing I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of uh, spectrums that it could it could go through. Do you feel like it's more uh, focus? Maybe not either, but more on the business end or maybe the philosophical end in terms of 
like you're talking about, this is a matter that you can help out in in the business mind. But what about the uh, philosophical mind in terms of what kind of museum would do people good? You know, what could we display that would do people good? Is that kind of a spectrum of it too? That that is. I mean, if it's it's just that it's how <clears throat> museums are changing because of financing in or financial resources. That has a, a big part of it. Um, I live in the neighborhood where the New Orleans Museum of Art is, and I really enjoy that museum. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I like to visit. Um, you know, I, I like the collection. Um, you know, so it's the, that sort of the idea about being in your community, being able to walk to your museum, yeah. you know, being able to be a part of it. So historically, the role that, that museums have played in this country is shifting because the demographic is shifting. Um, it, it was It's seen as a really high level of social, cultural prestige to be a part of a museum, to know about art, those sorts of things. So as other populations begin to weigh in on that, um, I mean, it, I'm, I'm a bit of an anomaly in the sense that I look at the whole picture about museums. I'm not a specialist in African-American museums. I am, you know, African-American by birth or black by birth and by culture. Mm. So, but in terms of museum practice, it's general for me, you know. Yeah. So um, it, it's, I, I think that there is a, a overall, you know, that museums do play an important, important role. Mm -hmm. It's just that you, where you've been able to manipulate different populations outside of it or make it seem that it's something that it's a status that you have to acquire or you have to accept what's on the walls of somebody else's museums. More and more other populations are saying, well, you know what, that guy doesn't look anything like me, so mm. I'm going to build a museum and put somebody on the wall that does look like me. And that's where a lot of the, the problem comes in. Of course. Hmm. Wow. So can, can I ask yes, a Paul. question real quick? So when it comes to like historical museums, who decides what's worth putting in there? You know what I mean? Because I mean, I feel like you reach a certain point and it's like, okay, well, these these are Beethoven's trousers. You know, like those, trousers. Those with the money. <laughs> you don't hear the word right. trousers that often. Trousers. Yeah, trousers. You know. Beethoven's trousers. Is that German? Uh, sure. Why not? Okay. Well, well, yeah, it is. It, it's it's who ha you know, yeah, who has the, those who have the money. The financiers um, of the museum decide what goes in. Uh, the board, yeah. Okay. And the and the, the communities. See, I mean, that my, know, that's so. my weird, you know, naive romantic idea when I hear you say museologist. I would think the museologist decides that, but of course <laughs> not. <laughs> you know, it's it's the person with the money and who's. You know, I'm so glad you cleared up what museologist is because yeah. I thought it was about a Mardi Gras woman's parade. Right. I thought about that <laughs> when I read it. Like, I the same oh, this thing. is about muse. Okay. This but you know, different. there's a museum you might like that I was just at the end of May, the B.B. Um, King Museum and Interpretation mm. Center in Indianola, Mississippi. Wow. Um, Mr. King came home to play a concert, his last visit home. He does one every year, the past 34 years, and he just did the last one in May. So, wow, I love it. Yeah. Are you involved with the presidential museums? Mm. Is there anything you're interested in? Uh, you know what? I went to the Gerald Ford Museum in March because I was in, <laughs> I was uh, in Michigan. Slow down. You don't have Facebook, <laughs> so you might as well go to the Gerald Ford. What's in that? Uh, it's the hist his history. Um, you know, his history was his family history in Michigan, and then. Um, Does it seem like an interesting guy when you go to his museum? Uh, Not some, really. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, I, 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 it's hard. I, I really haven't met a museum I didn't really like. Are you like every museum? Uh, yeah. Actually. Have you been to the Richard Nixon Museum? That's awesome. I went to that one. I have Richard not Nixon was a great guy. You would have no idea how great a guy Richard Nixon was until you get to the end of the Richard Nixon Museum. I got and you can't even walk out of it. You have to go around the whole thing in a circle. 
I need to go. I've passed a lot, but I've not been there. You're lying. I'm telling you the exact honest truth. There's one museum that my father and I are talking about, you know, taking a road trip and going to see is like father and son in Tennessee. Uh-oh. It's the Creationism Museum. Is there one? Oh, yeah. Do you know about Bill, that? Bill, Bill Maher did a thing in, right. in religiosity or whatever right. religious. He debated the guy who, I guess, curates or runs this yeah. thing mm-hmm. who's like staunch creationist. Are you and your dad on the same side on the uh, creation issue? I mean, yeah. Um, yes. Uh, You're not going to say that Adam and Eve isn't true or something bullshit like that. End the show on a bad note. No, man, I'm not going to say anything about that. I'm just going to say my father and I plan to go see the Creationist Museum. We're really excited to do it. Have you been there, Rodell, to the Creationist Museum? I haven't been there. Would you like to go with Andrew? Would you like to go? Would you like to go? If him and his dad will have me, I'd love to go. We got space. I bet they'd love to go with a museologist. Is that because I would like your critique on the museum itself? I'm sure Andrew means it. I'm not kidding around. You do it, right? You take, We're going to go, yes. The, but I mean, you take Rodell with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. you don't get car sick or anything? Don't pee in the uh, video recorder? <laughs> nothing <laughs> no like peeing, that? Nothing weird. Uh, uh, music, we'd have to, you know, we have to discuss music. Sure. Though, so well, that's well, fair. You would be in good hands with Andrew. Okay. I want, you know, I think, I think we could trade songs. When are, you go, when are you going in the summer? We haven't actually talked about a date yet. But okay, well, it's called Dad. I think it's going to happen. Okay, it was cool. Dad's idea. Was it created by an, an intelligent designer? An architect must be... <laughs> it's going to be really yeah. high. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have to get out of here in a minute, but before we do, we're going to make Phil play another song. What are you going to play? Twist my liver, man. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Something. Uh, we're all smiling, so I'll play Charlie Chaplin's Smile. Nice. Oh. nice. Yeah, I love
guitar player magazine called him one of the finest players ever. Our very own Phil DeGree from right here in New Orleans. Phil, thank you so much for joining us today. I really Happy appreciate Hour. you having me here. That was thank great to much. have you. We've yeah. been wanting to have you for so long. Anytime. Paul Dell, oh, filmmaker yes. as well. Look for his new movie called White Elephants coming out anytime soon. And look for Chosen in the $5 bin at Walmart yes, if he gets lucky enough that's it, to be chosen to put it in there. Riddell Hearn, the musologist, joined us as well on Facebook. And we'll get him on Facebook. What made me say that, I wonder? Not on Facebook, no. I should have said. On Happy Hour. Thank you. Is what I should have said. And we'll uh, we look forward to getting your report on the uh, Creationist Museum Absolutely. that you're going on a tour <laughs> right. with. Pictures with, and all. With uh, Andrew Duhon, who also joined me today. Thank you so much. That's Happy Hour for another week. Our producer of our show is Graham DuPonte. Our associate producer and technical director is Chris Kehoe. Christian Unruh is our music director. And Joshua Brown is our music coordinator. The theme song that you're currently listening to was written by and is being played by Mitch Foreman. The fabulous audio quality of this show is brought to you in part by PreSonus Audio Electronics. For more information about their wide range of sound recording equipment, you can find them at PreSonus.com. If you'd like to be on our show, you can stay upright for about an hour and drink how many pints of uh, beer have you had? Five. Five, yeah. Five pints. Paul five. Dale, five pints of beer. That is definitely a happy hour record. Congratulations. If you'd like to join us here sometime, drop us a line. Our address is on our website. It's neworleans.com. We can also check out many other happy hour shows, as well as our other shows, Out to Lunch with Peter Rusciutti, live from Commander's Palace. Mindset with psychiatrist Dr. Nick Pajic. True to the Game with the fabulous Chris True and Tammy Nelson. Vietnam, our show about the New Orleans Vietnamese community. With Kim Vu and Midnight Menu Plus One with Margot Moss, the man who ate New Orleans. Ray Canada joins her and also just joined our lineup as Louisiana Eats with Poppy Tucker. That's all on itsneworleans.com. You can keep up with us on Facebook, on Twitter, and a bunch of other time-sucking social media as well. On all of it, where It's New Orleans. You can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on Facebook. This is photos we're taking today by the fabulous Douglas Engel, who's got a bad knee that he got in a uh, bizarre sexual accident. If you're listening to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Swell, or some other podcast app that you like better, thank you for subscribing to us. Please take a moment to rate and review us. That is good for us, and it helps other people find the show as well. Our show is recorded live today for the very first time at Wayfair on Ferret Street. Wayfair is home of the handcrafted food and spirits where they put fine dining into a sandwich. And if you don't believe that, come and try it for yourself. They're right here on Ferret Street on the hip part just by Napoleon Avenue. Happy Hour is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworms.com. For Andrew Duhon, everyone sitting around here at the table at Wayfair and back at our INO office. I'm Grant Morris. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on Happy Hour. 